Before we get started on today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Anchor. If you're interested in starting your own podcast and you're not sure what platform to use, look no further than Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast today, and it gives you everything you need for free. You can edit your podcast, create artwork, and import your own music all from your mobile app. Another great feature of Anchor is that you don't have to worry about understanding how the RSS feed works and all the other technical difficulties that went into making a podcast back in the days. All you have to do is record your podcast and Anchor will send your episode out to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. If all that isn't enough, Anchor also gives you the opportunity to make money off your podcast. With no minimal listenership, you can start making money today by using ads. So this is what I need you to do. Download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? It's your boy E here. Welcome to the Proverbial Life Podcast. This is a podcast that encourages Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. Sit back and ride with me for a second. It's the proverbial life. It's the proverbial yeah. life. It's the proverbial 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 life. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Proverbial Life Podcast. This is a podcast where we encourage Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. I hope everyone's doing well. On today's episode, we have a special guest that I will introduce in a moment. For those of you who are interested in supporting the ministry, you can support on Patreon at Proverbial Life, uh, Patreon backslash the Proverbial Life. And uh, anything that you can give to support the ministry would be appreciated, but prayers are appreciated more than anything. So, uh, you know, here on The Proverbial Life, we want to discuss matters of faith and Christ and encouraging believers to look to Christ by faith, living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that seeks to honor him in their actions. Um, We want to leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. And on today's episode, I have a a, a friend now. Uh, I was introduced to uh, this man by uh, my brother, John Harris, uh, from Conversations That Matter. And uh, just a real, real good brother in the Lord. And I look forward to getting to know him more throughout the years. And I appreciate his ministry and his testimony so far. So I'm going to bring him in here. Today, we are going to be having Dr. Russell Fuller. Dr. Russell Fuller, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Edwin. Good to see you. Good. Yeah, good. Thank you for being on here today. Uh, it, it is encouraging. Uh, Brother John sent me your phone number and said, you know, Dr. Russell uh, would be interested in getting on the podcast. And I said, yeah, that's awesome. Praise God. So 
Uh, doctor, thank you for being here today. Uh, we're going to get into it. We've discussed what the podcast is about, and we'll be discussing some of those themes today. But again, just looking to Christ, living wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. Uh, as we prepare this interview, Doctor, uh, let me just briefly give your background. Dr. Russell Fuller is a former professor at Southern Seminary who spoke out against identity politics and the other problems at Southern Seminary. So with that being said, Dr. Fuller, um, can you please start off by sharing your experience at Southern Seminary and what led you to the end of your career there? Yes, uh, about two to three years ago, uh, we were in a meeting. And in that meeting, uh, Dr. Moeller brought up a professor, uh, Jonathan Pennington, and he asked the question, does anybody think he's outside of the abstract? Now, the abstract is the document, the doctrinal document by which all professors at Southern Seminary are supposed to teach by. And so he asked that question and it was right at the end of the meeting. And when he asked that question, I, I was kind of shocked by it because I had told the dean many times that I thought that uh, Pennington was outside the abstract. And when Moeller asked that question, it was kind of like, well, you know what I think about that. But I didn't say anything because it was right at the end of, of a meeting. And I knew if I raised my hand, it would go. We had another meeting we had to go to immediately after that one. And so I, I didn't speak up. And for the next few months, it just bothered me. And it just it really it just it, it ate at me. Uh, over the months. And finally, it was in July. But that meeting that I was just referring to was back in March. And at the end of July, I said, you know, I'm just going to have to write him and tell him what I, you know, my concerns. And I mentioned it to the dean at the time. Uh, my name, Greg Wills, was the dean at the time. And I mentioned it to him and uh, he said, yeah, just be careful how you say it and all that. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so mm -hmm. I wrote him a letter. And that was at the end of my 20th year of teaching at Southern Seminary. And so I thanked Dr. Moeller for my 20 years I was teaching there. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, at that point, I said, but, you know, moving forward, I have some concerns. And so I mentioned different professors and what they were teaching. I mentioned one named uh, Dominique Hernandez, who was mm -hmm. a fairly new faculty member at that time. And I mentioned to him, I'm very concerned about his teachings and what he wrote in his dissertation and a paper he did at Society of Biblical Literature, in which he was arguing that the author of Job uh, teaches mythology. And so I said, this is really contrary to the abstract. It's against the doctrine of inspiration. We can't have a faculty member who believes that the author of Job is teaching mythology because by definition, mythology is error. And as you know, in the New Testament, both Peter and Paul uh, always contrast uh, mythology with truth. They understood what mythology was, the New Testament writers, and even the Old Testament writers for that matter. Right. They knew what myth was. And um, again, they condemn myth as well. Then I mentioned another um, professor, uh, Jonathan Pennington, which I talked about his postmodernism. And if you really look at his writings, I think his writings really are against basically every attribute of scripture from sufficiency to the inerrancy. Um, you know, if you, if you approach the Bible with a postmodern framework, uh, you're not going to 
uh, read the Bible faithfully and accurately according to the way that the Holy Spirit would have us read the scriptures. And so I mentioned that one. And then I hit the one uh, that was probably the, the most troubling, to, I'm sure, to Dr. Moeller, and that was the social justice critical race theory. Mm. And I mentioned Jarvis Williams and I mentioned Matthew Hall. Of course, Matthew Hall at the time, I believe, was dean uh, at Boyce. And of course, a person who is very close to Dr. Moeller. That's going after Matthew Hall is like going after uh, his son in the faith. That's who Matthew Hall was. So that's what started it. And after I wrote that letter to him, of course, I've got a response by having to go to the uh, vice president's office, the uh, provost, uh, who, who is the vice president, went to his office. That was Randy Stinson. And he and the new dean, Herschel York, of course, let me know that Dr. Moeller was furious at my letter. Mm. He was so upset, he called uh, Stinson on Saturday night, took a picture of it, sent it to, Spence, uh, to Randy Stinson. And for, he said to me for 30 minutes, <clears throat> he just vented his anger uh, at my, uh, my letter to him. Mm. Of course, they were not happy with me. And so for... I don't know how long the meeting went on. It was probably between 30 minutes and an hour. <clears throat> Again, they, they came after me pretty good for this, saying that uh, none of these men believe what you say they're believing and so forth. But none of them could ever say, you know, I, I, you know, look, my problem is what they say here. Can you explain what they're saying here in this dissertation or in this paper or in this book? They never could do that. Uh, they never even tried to do it. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Herschel York, he told me that I misread Hernandez, and to which I said, well, Herschel, have you read Hernandez? And his answer was, no, but I'm going to. Wow. So somehow he knew I misread something, and yet he himself had not read the material. That's the kind of thing that I was basically going against. They already had their minds made up. I had misread them, even though they had not read the materials themselves. Wow. And um, again, when you're in this type of situation, it's a no-win situation for you. That's right. So I was called back in the office just a couple of months later and given an official letter of reprimand threatening my job. And basically, Edwin, for the last two years, I was under constant threat of being fired. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the, 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 probably the last straw that probably where Mueller finally decided he was going to get rid of me was in a full professor's meeting. And let me explain what that is. <clears throat> you know, you have three levels of a professor. You have an assistant professor, then the next highest is an associate. And then finally you have something called just a professor or sometimes called a full professor. And in a full professor's meeting, what we do is we discuss assistant professors and um, associate professors and talk about their being promoted to the next level of professor. And we were talking about um, Matthew Hall and he was going to go from an, I believe an assistant to an associate professor, but also uh, as a result of this, he would become the number two man at Southern Seminary. He would become the provost and the vice president. <clears throat> so in that meeting, um, um, of course, I, I got the email just uh, just two days in advance that uh, Matthew Hall was going to be put up. To be honest with you, Edwin, I didn't have to show up to this meeting. Uh, I was on sabbatical and I didn't even have to show. I could have just stayed at home, kept quiet, kept my job probably, 
Um, I may have already lost it with a letter, I'm not sure, but I'd have been in a much better situation when I stayed at home. But I tell you what, I was really bothered. Uh, I knew when I saw that, that really, in my opinion, this was it. This was the battle for Southern Seminary. If Matthew Hall is elected to provost, then that tells you where Southern Seminary is now and where it's going to go in the future. And it's a, a very troubling direction. Very troubling. As you know, Matthew Hall, you can see these videos online of him yep. where he, though he denies that he believes in critical race theory. Right. So if you look at his videos online, it is what he teaches is textbook critical yep. race theory. But yet, instead of just coming clean and saying, yeah, that's what I was, that's what I believe, and now I changed my mind, it's a, it's a denial. Yep. He denies it, even, but yet he's never publicly retracted, to my knowledge, any of the things that he's taught online, you see. And he's, he's been going around to churches for years, uh, pushing this critical race theory in our churches. And, and, you know, and at Boyce College, where he was the dean, uh, many of the students coming out of Boyce College now are uh, social justice warriors. And uh, I know, I'm getting off track a little bit, but I, I know uh, an ex-trustee, and he told me he had uh, a bunch of, uh, he had many um, students over from Boyce, and he told me almost every one of them were now social justice warriors. Wow. And again, this is the influence of Matthew Hall. Yeah. And so at this meeting, I stood up, I gave a speech on it. You can read the speech, by the way, if you go to Enemies Within the Church, and click on uh, uh, articles and uh, you'll have to find it, but it's there and they'll have a link. And in that link, it'll show you the speech I gave uh, against Matthew Hall. And basically, let me just summarize the very end of it, where I say, look, if you take any type of secular philosophy and combine it with the gospel, you distort and pervert the gospel. And that's exactly what he did. He took, he's taking critical race theory and what he's doing is, he, as, he, as he says in one of the videos online on YouTube, he connected the dots. And by that, what he was connecting uh, was critical race theory with scripture and trying to bring them into conformity. And of course, what he'll try to do is use the doctrine of man's depravity, his sinfulness, and he'll say, I'm just showing you that we're more sinful than we've ever understood, you see. And uh, we're racist and we all fight with white supremacy and these kinds of things. And so he tries to use the doctrine of sin as the um, means or the road by the which he is putting critical race theory into the church. And again, it's a very a troublesome thing. And... Uh, so anyway, I spoke out very strongly against the promotion of Matt Hall. And uh, when it came time for a vote, uh, just about a third of the people in the room, 30% of the people in the room um, voted with me against Matt Hall, which that took a lot of courage for these folks. Sure. Because uh, now look, you didn't have to sign your name on this. <laughs> so, but still, 30% of the people in that room voted against him. And remember, they're voting against a man who can uh, remove them from that seminary. Um, and there were three people who spoke out against him. One man was named Mark Coppinger. 
he was he was asked to leave by the end of that year. That's about two years ago. And then the other two people who spoke out uh, against Matt Hall's promotion were let go uh, this past April. We were officially let go on April th- uh, 21st. Um, and so both of the, the other two that spoke out against him. So right now, the three people who spoke out against Matt Hall's promotion, we've all been uh, let go from the seminary. And um, uh, again, I, I was looking, one of our professors got on and said, now look, this was nothing. This was all about coronavirus. And, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, there was no discipline, nobody got in trouble. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so. no. All three of us were very senior professors. And if you notice, I mean, it's true. A lot of people were let go. About uh, nine of us, I think, were let go, uh, some from Southern and some from Boyce College. But most of the people who were let go were junior people, you know, people who had just come in and let go. But notice uh, two of the senior people who were let go spoke out against Matt Hall. And I I don't believe that's a, a coincidence, you see. Right. Though people want to say that. So really, it was speaking out against um, uh, the liberalism we have on our campus with uh, Dominic Hernandez, the postmodernism that you have with Jonathan Pennington and the social justice, critical race theory. And sometimes it's called racial reconciliation. Yeah. And that's Jarvis Williams. That's uh, Matt Hall. And, you know, we did have for a while uh, Curtis Woods on the faculty. Walter Strickland as well. Yeah, Walter Strickland's at Southeastern. Southeastern, okay. Yeah, he's not Southern. He's at Southeastern. But you're correct. I mean, it's very, you're right about that. And the thing about those those names is that they, you know, they all intermingle with one another because of the ideology. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and so they're they're actually learning. So even though Walter Strickland isn't at Southern, there is some communication because they're all in this, and maybe even to a, a, a larger degree with Strickland. And maybe you could speak into this, but Strickland was definitely into Cone and teaching that to his students. And I don't know if that was the case at all with any of the names you mentioned at Southern, um, but there was a culture there in that ideology. That's right. And oh, yeah, uh, Cone is talked about in classes. I think Jarvis Williams really promotes uh, Cone. Um, you get people like Jarvis, I mean, uh, Matthew Hall, you know, he'll talk about uh, Du Bois and say, now he wouldn't want to be called an evangelical, but he speaks to things that are, you know, near and dear to evangelicals. Well, Du Bois was a card carrying communist. I mean, he. He was an atheist uh, completely, and he would say that. He was a complete atheist. But yet here is Matthew Hall praising him, saying, you know, he speaks to to things that we do. And you can see that Hall likes uh, Du Bois and a lot of what he teaches. And Cone, oh yeah, Cone is very popular with uh, some of the faculty. Yeah. Uh, And remember, when they hired like Curtis Woods, you know, when they hired him, there was already these videos online where Curtis Woods, Matt Hall, Jarvis Williams, if you've seen these videos, yep. you know, he wasn't even hired yet. So it was very clear uh, what Curtis Woods' belief was and that he believed in critical race theory. And Moeller knew this. Moeller knew all of these things when he hired uh, Curtis Woods. And of course, Curtis Woods was the architect behind Resolution 9. Yes. And, and again, 
you got to remember that Matt Hall and Al Mohler are very, very close. Like I said, Matt Hall is like his son in the faith. Mm. And let me tell you, there is absolutely no daylight between Al Mohler and Matthew Hall. Mm. Uh, Matt Hall would not teach and say the things he says without Al Mohler's approval. There's no way. Uh, if, if Mueller were concerned about Matt Hall, he would have told him, hey, don't say these things. You got it. This stuff is evil. You got to quit doing it. Now, listen, today they've all been backing away from it. Uh, they've all come out. You know, Mueller just recently came out with an article condemning critical race theory. And so people are like, look, Mueller's condemned critical race theory. He's condemned social justice. But if you were to turn around and ask Al Mueller, well, has uh, Matt Hall, has he been teaching critical race theory in the last few years? He would say no. Mm. How about Jarvis Williams? No. And, and that's just, see, that's a deception. Yes. Pure deception. Yeah. Listen, I was in a faculty meeting, it was about two years ago. I was in a faculty meeting where Al Mohler said this about critical race theory. He said this, he goes, look, I don't agree with all the so solutions of critical race theory, but he goes, critical race theory sees the problem accurately. And what he meant by that, is, what he meant by that was this. He meant by that, that concepts like whiteness, systemic race, uh, systemic racism, uh, privilege, white privilege, all these buzzwords that you hear, those to him are accurate, you see. Those are seeing the problems accurately. And that's why Al Mohler will talk about there's a huge problem of racism within the Southern Baptist Convention and within evangelicalism, within Christianity. He says that because, see, that is consistent with critical race theory. Yes. There's a huge problem. But yet he never gets specific. Who are you talking about? Right. Who is the racist? Who are, who are the guys pushing racism in the Southern Baptist Convention or in the evangelical church? Right. Uh, no, you don't get that. You see, yeah. you don't get that. So, it's really sad. In my last meeting with Al Mohler, the last time I talked to him, I, I said to him, you know, if Matt Hall were to just come clean and just say it like it is, yes, I taught critical race theory. Yes, I believed in critical race theory. But now I'm condemning it. I'm going to write against it. I, I'm ashamed of what I've done. I repent of it. And now I'm a different man. Not that I would vote for him for a promotion. No, 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 I wouldn't do that. But I would respect the man. No question I would respect him, you see. But see, it's a deception. It's deceit. To sit there and say, I don't believe in critical race theory when you've taught textbook critical race theory. And by the way, there was another, well, the uh, faculty meeting I was in where we promoted uh, Matt Hall, Moeller started using the terms himself, whiteness, systemic racism, he was using those terms in the fact that he believed those terms. He was accepting, because he was defending Matt Hall. So he was acting like these terms are good. These are good terms, obviously. Wow. Yeah. Very, very sad. Yeah, it's, it you know, really you know, is. Like I've seen Vinnie Burke has come out with an article. He, he teaches at Voice, hmm. condemning critical race theory. Andrew Walker has. They're all doing it right now. They're all coming out condemning critical race theory, social justice. They're all condemning that. But they don't say, well, look, what has Matt Hall been teaching in the past? What is Jarvis Williams teaching in the past? They don't, they don't, they don't, they won't go there. And if you were to ask any of them, oh, well, did these two guys teach it in the past? Oh, no, of course not. 
And again, that's just uh, uh, deception. Absolutely. Yeah. I read um, Dr. Eric Mason's book, Woke Church. And in that book, uh, Ligon Duncan writes the forward. Mm -hmm. It comes to this revelation that he was a racist. He's just, he's a, he's a racist. And, you know, it's, it's quite concerning uh, when, when these types of ideas are promoted through language, uh, because what they do is they, they're not biblical ideas, right? Uh, I don't think Matt Hall had a uh, has a better grasp of to, uh, the depravity of man than the Apostle Paul did. <laughs> That's right. And Paul never uses those kinds of languages. N- you know, none of the, none of the apostles, none of the writers of the New Testament use that kind of language. And yet, right. what the deception is what I what I'm noticing, especially coming out of the social justice movement, is that they enter and, and to your point, they they mix this. Uh, critical race theory language and use biblical language as if they're the same. Yes, that's right. That is very dangerous. Edwin, you've hit it. That's right. Very dangerous. Very good. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. And 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 what you end up having is, from my experience, what you end up having is, you you have to. This is this is almost. I liken it to a cult, right? When you're when you're speaking to someone who is from a different cults right let's say let's say jehovah's witnesses they'll use the same words jesus christ you know mm-hmm. son of god all that but then you have to peel back those layers and say okay well what do you mean by that and i'm finding that with some of these conversations that we're having with and this is the other thing you know um th- these professors th- what they're teaching is influencing pastors or soon to be pastors and husbands and families so this this is actually this is this this is a multi-generational problem we're getting ready to have that we're seeing in the moment that's correct and remember a lot of these names i gave you um pennington jarvis williams matt hall these guys are elders these guys are they preach at churches in louisville and they have a big influence, not only as professors, but also as uh, pastors. And this is making real inroads in some of our churches. This is making inroads in many of our schools, like you know, you brought up Southeastern, yeah. Southern, and many other of our Southern Baptist schools, uh, and uh, you know, non-Southern Baptist schools. This stuff is really taking root and it's doing a tremendous amount of damage to young people. And again, what we're seeing is like I told you at Boyce, we're seeing a lot of social justice warriors and even at Southern Seminary. You know, I asked some of the students, and again, this is an opinion, it may not be accurate, but I asked some of the students, how you know, what percentage do you think are, you know, social justice folks? And they go, 25% are probably against it. 25 are probably social justice warriors. And then that middle 50% can kind of go either way. And you know, that's probably true. Because I I tell you in my classes, and I taught Hebrew classes, and normally social justice warriors don't take Hebrew much. But anyway, those who did, I I had a few social justice warriors in there, a few of them, not many, but I had a few in there. So it's it's affecting students, it's affecting churches. Um, this stuff's affecting a lot of uh, a lot of people, and it's it's something that we have to, I think, stand up for or stand against completely. Yes, sir. It, yeah. I you said know, in one of my, uh, you know, some one of the uh, videos I made. This, uh, Edwin, I believe, is nothing less than another gospel. Mm. 
And we must see, I think, I think a, a clear line is being drawn here. Can you take, again, a secular anti-Christian philosophy and somehow combine it with Christianity and you still have authentic Christianity? No. I think you can't. No. These folks say you can. And I tell you what, it's a, uh, uh, it's a real danger to the church. And I think that seminaries and churches are going to have to decide what is the true gospel. Because I tell you, I believe what they're doing is they're forming a new gospel, a different gospel. And again, as I said before, that type of gospel should be accursed. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so, so with with that, uh, what was life like prior to you opening your mouth? You know, and, and, and because you know, Satan, Satan is a, uh, as we know, the scriptures tell us, he is. He was the most cunning, you know, creature in the garden. You know, he comes in and he deceives Eve, the weaker vessel, and he wants to bring deception. And but but he, he starts off small with deception, uh, with the end goal of kill, steal, and destroy. You know, wanting to tear it down. Uh, and so so, what was life like prior to you opening your mouth and speaking against it? And did you see anything up until that point that kind of gave you some caution? Oh, yeah. I mean, when they hired me back in 1998, uh, once I was on campus and saw some things going on, it didn't take me but just a few weeks to see that even the new faculty that Mueller was hiring that was supposed to be really conservative wasn't that conservative. Mm. Uh, we had one professor uh, who he was very he was he wrote a book on hermeneutics or you know how to interpret the Bible, and what he would say in his class this is the way he'd start a, a lot of times the class he would come in at first day of class and say, now I want you to know the apostles would be lucky to get a C in my class. Wow, <laughs> and and he was talking about. He thought that the apostles, the way they interpreted the Old Testament was very deficient. Wow. So they'd be lucky to make a C. Uh, well, um, he should have been much more concerned with what the apostles are going to give him for a final grade. Let me tell you. <laughs> and if the apostles interpret a certain way, we need to try to imitate them the best we can. They are the ultimate interpreters of the Old Testament. You want yeah. to interpret the Old Testament? You look at the New Testament writers, you see. And you say, well, I don't like the way they did it here. Well, we need to study more until we need to pray about this until we can say, hey, I like this. This is the way you're supposed to interpret the Bible. And we just need to work more at it until we come to grips with it. There was another professor uh, just a couple of years after I was hired, got up in chapel. And by the way, you won't find this uh, sermon on, on uh, Southern's website anymore. Where he got up and, and, and uh, um, denied justification by grace through faith, especially the notion of forensic justification. Wow. And uh, again, it was, and Moeller was right there. Matter of fact, Moeller was sitting almost right beside me. He was, he was setting one chair down from me. And now Moeller got onto him afterwards, but there was never, but this was a typical pattern at Southern Seminary. Yeah. What happened was, Moeller told him, I don't like this and so forth. But guess what? There was no public statement of, hey, I was wrong. I said this wrong. And by the way, it wasn't a misspeaking. The man, I was, I was sitting behind him when he was preaching. 
he was reading the sermon off a manuscript. He, he wasn't, so it wasn't a, it wasn't, well, maybe you make a mistake, you know, because I've made many mistakes preaching. Sure. I, I preach extemporaneous, but he wasn't, he was reading from a, uh, a script, you see. And I give it no public recanting. No, hey, I made a big mistake here. None of that. And he was later promoted and, you know, uh, and he would do other things. I mean, he said this one day in class uh, where all the PhD students in the Old Testament, all the professors were there. And he goes, well, the author of Chronicles, uh, he just made a mistake here or corrupted his sources. or He just made an error. You know, there you go. And again, nothing happens. You know, <laughs> it just so we had professors like that, uh, really from the from the almost day one of Moeller's regime. So uh, there was always problems, but you really saw a difference somewhere around 2010. Mm -hmm. Around 2010, you saw a real change in Moeller. Moeller uh, started accepting things like sexual orientation. And you could see Moeller was heading back toward the liberal direction. As you know, Moeller, uh, if you go back to when he was in school in the uh, 1980s, you know, he was very much promoting women in ministry, mm. saying that was biblical. And if you had a robust theology, he loves to talk that way, uh, that you, you would uh, agree with him about women in ministry. And of course, he, as he says, he changed overnight. Of course, he at that time was totally against inerrancy. Thought inerrancy was ridiculous. Mm. Of course, now he says he's all you know. He he did believe in inerrancy back in those days, but uh, the evidence doesn't show that. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, one of his friends uh, did a podcast recently saying he didn't. You know, wow. which was kind of interesting. But Moeller started. I could really see a big difference in Moeller when he started accepting sexual orientation. He started accepting, again, secular anti-Christian viewpoints and then trying to bring them into line with scripture. Wow. And from that time on, you could see it. But then uh, around, oh, I'd say 2016, the critical race theory hit and it was a shock to me. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And Thing. It was almost like that came out of nowhere. Yeah. And they had been teaching it, but kind of kept it quiet. But it was going on in the classrooms. And so Southern took a pretty hard turn to the left, probably around 2010 to 2015. Now they're trying to go back and, and, and act conservative because, you know, I kind of lifted the veil. And so mm -hmm. now they're in conservative mode right now. We're trusted for truth. You know, that's what they say. You know, mm -hmm. we're trusted for truth. And they're really acting very conservative right now, and because they wanted, they're deceiving students and they're deceiving uh, incoming students, you know. But let me tell you, there's a lot of students who've reached out to me, and, and they go, "Hey," and they've told me stories I had no idea. Some of the some of the stories I'm hearing from students at both Boyce and Southern Seminary, you know, I didn't know how bad it was. I mean, when I when I did those videos back in May. You know, people have reached out to me. Some parents have even called me. I had one parent contact me. Of course, they couldn't. They tried to contact Moeller. Moeller wouldn't wouldn't talk to them. They contacted me, and they told me their horror story about their children uh, being corrupted into believing in, in uh, 
uh, social justice, and it came through N.T. Wright and some of his teachings and so forth. And a professor was really pushing N.T. Wright and a new perspective on Paul and things like this. And so, yeah, a lot of people have reached out to me and told me stories that I had no idea what was going on at Southern Seminary. Uh, it was going on in the classrooms, you know. Right. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's shocking. It's absolutely wow. shocking. But again, right now they're in damage control. Right. It's all about damage control right now. So I'm, I'm sure, Edwin, you probably saw the videos where I they have. Do, do that. What, let me make one comment about one of them. Please. <laughs> uh, Matthew Hall makes an interesting statement. Because, you know, to us, he said, you know, we all struggle with racism. We all struggle with um, white supremacy. Yeah. And he was acting like, you know, we'll all do that to the day we die. But on that video, he said, not all white, not all white people are racist. And so I'm going, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> I thought he told us in a faculty meeting, well, you know, we all struggle with racism. We, we all struggle with white supremacy and we will do that to the day we die. But now he tells us on that video that not all white people are racist, to which I wanted to ask, well, if that's true, if not all white people are racist, then Matthew, why are you a racist, you see? Mm -hmm. But again, he, he, he won't explain or he will not come clean on any of these things, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't impressed by those interviews um, <laughs> because I, in seeing the interview that you and John recorded <laughs> and hearing those questions uh, that John asked and your answers to them, it, you know, when, once the veil is off your eyes, and, and 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 it's almost those interviews are even they they seem to be a little more offensive now because it's like people they think we're stupid you know it's like <laughs> they're they're addressing you in like a like a, like but you're not there anymore you know because they got rid of you and it's like right. the mob kind of thing you know so you don't exist anymore but they're addressing really what you and John covered in those videos but. I'm not convinced, you know, as I listen to them, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being deceived because I heard what you literally said, you right. know, uh, Dr. Hall, when you said I, I am a racist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, you know, I gave specific passages out of books or passages on videos where I said, look, this is problematic. This statement here is a problem. And notice in all of their videos and all of their Twitters and all of their, you know, Facebook posts, they don't discuss any of the specifics that right. I did. They just can't do it. And I, if you remember on the third video, I said, watch, they will not be able to address the substance of what I'm saying. They will just attack me personally because that's all they could do. I, even at Southern Seminary, see, I used to try to get them. I'd say, show me. I asked one of the deans one time, I said, hey, look, did I misread Dominic Hernandez? And he goes, yes, you did. I said, okay, could you show me where I misread Dominic Hernandez? And he looked at me, he grinned, he blushed. He says, no, I cannot. Mm. And I just grinned right back at him and said, okay. I mean, the hell is it? Um, they, they, they can't, they, not one professor, not Al Mohler himself. When I had discussions with Al Mohler one-on-one, -on -one, not one time could Al Mohler ever discuss one of the uh, statements of substance that I brought up. Never. He couldn't do it. He couldn't. Yeah. Do it. 
what what is it about because i i i went to a um a baptist uh college got my bachelor's in florida and uh there's there's this i'm sure you're familiar with the 11th commandment um, in in baptist life and so what can you speak into that because i hear that in in this you know it's like you don't speak negatively again you you broke the 11th commandment yeah i did i did but you know edmund I, i really believe in this group it's not the 11th commandment it's the first commandment with them unfortunately I think all the other commandments have moved down one. This is the first commandment with these folks. Let me tell you, they, if you, if you speak out against one of your fellow members, and by the way, this, uh, we'll call it the 11th commandment, even though I'm calling it the first commandment. It works in a broader scope too, by the way. Uh, let me tell you what, you go after one of the gospel coalition folks, all the gospel, all of them will circle the wagons on you. You see, yes. you see, broader evangelicalism, or sometimes known as Big Eva, right? You attack one of the Big Eva, all the Big Eva's coming after you. And so it's true. But in Southern Baptist circles, oh yes, uh, one Southern Baptist criticizing publicly another Southern Baptist, like one professor criticizing another professor, is unheard of. And what's really sad about this is you'll have like the Southern Baptist Convention president, a guy like uh, J.D. Greer, who will say sometimes the most outrageous things. But guess what? Not one Southern Baptist. Now, I'm not talking about laymen or just just a pastor out there. But if you have some type of job in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, you're not going to be able to speak out against what J.D. Greer is saying, because if you do, you're going to lose your job. That's right. Somebody's, you speak out against Russell Moore? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that happened at, apparently at South uh, Western, you know, <laughs> and, and Bobby Lopez knows what happens when you uh, don't, if you do something that, uh, you know, Russell Moore doesn't like, you see. So he broke the commandment as well, and, and you saw what happened to him. And so it's really sad that we have, some of our Southern Baptists speaking out and saying things that are anti-scriptural, anti-biblical, you know, anti-Christian sometimes. But yet, if you belong, if, if, you're, if you're an employee of some type of Southern Baptist agency, you better not speak up. Because if you do, even though you can be completely right, you can be completely right, mm-hmm. you'll lose your job. So unfortunately, when you sign up uh, for a job in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, your ability to criticize or question even just outright heresy, uh, well, you can, but you're going to lose your job. You're going to be a troublemaker and you're going to be out the door. So, yeah, Edwin, let me tell you, you don't do that. But again, that, that, that works in Big Eva as well. You, you speak out against some of the big names of evangelicalism. And you're you're going to lose your name. You could lose your job. Same thing. Same. Um, and that honestly, Doctor Fuller, that's why I really appreciate your story and what God what God has done in this. Because you know, we talked before recording. There's there's something about you know li- living in a way as to honor the Lord first and foremost, so that if in the eyes of men you look like a a rat or a traitor or you know 
But in the eyes of God, that integrity that you have before the Lord to say, God, my conscience is clean. I, I, I've, I've honored you. I've sought to, to, to bring glory to your name. And I can't remain silent. I have to speak the truth. And what's what's beautiful about that that, I, I, that I've seen, and maybe you can speak into this, and you have so far about, about this point, is that, you know, the... the who, who who wants to go through you know the the name calling and the ridicule and and the shame and you know there was some f- financial you know uh, effects on you and your family as well as a result of this um but but so you see how satan wants to he uses these moments to try to drain the well you know and and leave you broken and empty and left there to to wallow but but God, he, he's always, he, he works, he, he, he uses these things to bring himself more glory and to help more people, you know, as a result of all this, you're able, I mean, this is multifaceted. You're able to speak against this movement that's taking place at a prestige seminary, but then also by example, we're learning what it looks like and in a sense, you and others are modeling what it looks like to have integrity. And and when you talk about, when we think about pastoral ministry, which these men are preparing for, if, if we don't have that before the Lord, then what do we have? That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, I know this has uh, shaken a lot of people. And they, they've seen what's happened. They see the name calling that's going on. And so forth. And I tell you what, it has uh, shaken some folks. Uh, I know some students have reached out to me and they're, and they're really upset. And listen, they weren't on my side at, at the beginning. I think they were on the other side. And then when they saw the reaction uh, and the name calling and not dealing with the substance of what I'm saying, they're like, wait a minute, uh, something's not right here. And, uh, you, you know, Edwin, you asked me something earlier and I kind of got off the topic just a second on that. But how I was I treated, I, I was treated much better when I first came, obviously. And, but you know, from time to time, I would raise my voice against teachers even early on. So to be honest with you, I had a troublemaker reputation for a while at Southern for speaking out against other professors who were, again, uh, saying things like, uh, you know, the apostles would get a C in my class and so forth. But let me tell you, after I spoke out against Matt Hall, would be interesting if I got to a table first. Most people wouldn't want to sit at my table with me. Wow. <laughs> you did, but you could tell people wanted to keep their distance. They did not want to be associated with me. So by the time I left, I was pretty much a pariah. Now you got to remember, the last two years I was there, I was under constant threat of being fired. Just constant threat of that. And so when they let me go, there was a sense of relief, to be honest with you. A sense I that hey. They have nothing to hold over me anymore. But Edwin, you're right. I, I, if I would have kept my mouth shut, I would have truly felt that I love my job, I love my status, my position, mm. more than the Lord. Mm. I, I just couldn't do that. Uh, I could not just be quiet and just let things go. And I knew, listen, I... I uh, I'm not a fool, <laughs> and if if I know how the game's played at Southern Seminary, I know that if I were to 
you know, compliment the right people and do things the right way, I could move up, you know, I could be one of Moeller's favorites. I know how to play the game, but I'm sorry, I just couldn't do that. I couldn't play that game. And when I saw false teaching, I would say it. And when I would say it, I knew I was getting on the wrong side of the administration. But when I wrote that letter, uh, I really stepped over the line that time in a way that there was no going back. And then going after Matt Hall, that was suicide. But look, I knew what I was doing. Amen. Um, I wasn't, uh, I could have played the game. I could still have my job there. There's no doubt I could do that. But I couldn't live with myself. And I couldn't look myself in the mirror and say, you have any integrity at all. You know what's going on there and you're just keeping your mouth shut. Now look, while I was in, while I was inside the system, I kept fighting within the system. And you got to remember, again, under Matt Hall, I got 30% of the vote to, to be with me. With Pennington, we got almost 50% of the vote. Mm. So I felt like I was making... In other words, not almost this, I was making progress, but I felt I was doing something important by staying there and fighting from within. But I wasn't going to stop speaking out against what I thought was wrong, you know, and I knew it was going to cost me and it did. And once it did, that was fine. But look, now I'm going to speak out publicly before I was speaking out, you know, privately, but all publicly because, you know, Southern Seminary is on fire. Now, look, they're trying to clean it up right now. They're going to say to you, oh, no, none of that's going on here. You know, damage control and all this. But listen, it's on fire. Southern uh, Southern Baptist uh, Southern Baptist Convention is in trouble. All you have to do is look at agency heads like Russell Moore or the president, uh, Greer, and others in the convention. And you can see that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is in bad trouble. And if we don't do something soon, it's going to be too late because many good churches are now leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. And I understand why. I wish those guys would stay and fight. But look, I'm not criticizing them. Listen, if you're a pastor and you speak out against it, you're going to have other pastors coming against you. Yeah. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose your status. You're going to lose money in the bank. You're going to lose it all, my friend. Mm. And uh, but you're going to have to one day stand before the Lord and say, Lord, did this job, did, did being a pastor here at this church, does this mean more to me than being faithful to you? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Yes. Amen, brother. Amen. And that was going to be my question to you was, how would you encourage pastors and young men uh, finding themselves in similar situations like this? Um, and, and I think you in part answered that question, but is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Just specific, you know, my, my job is on the line, my career. This is how I feed my family. Yeah. Um, you know, you're gonna, your friends, you're going to lose your friends. Right. You see, you're going to be an outcast. You see, um, all those things are going to happen to you. You know, Jesus talks about counting the cost of discipleship. And this is part of counting the cost for discipleship. It talks about losing family for the sake of my name, but you'll get a hundredfold in this life and that which is to come. Amen. Be faithful to the Lord. I, I see it. I see where people, I've even had phone calls from folks that I, I think they're struggling with it. And they, some of these people have high up positions um, in, organ, in evangelical organizations. 
And I get the sense that some of them are struggling with this and they're, they, they themselves are, you know, their conscience is bothering them about some things here. Mm. And, uh, but I tell you, it took me a while. Uh, you know, I, this is when I walked in there, you know, but it was step by step. And let me say this, Edward, I didn't always do everything right. I'll tell you what, some of the time I would, when I would do some of the battle on this, I felt like I was doing it in the flesh. Mm. And I don't think the Lord was pleased with that. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about especially a situation about 10 years ago when I was ar arguing against a certain guy who, again, was teaching stuff bad on our campus. And, you know, I just felt like, look, I, I think I was right. I know I know I was right in what I said. I really do. Uh, but, you know, I just felt that I, I, I battled that in the flesh. But on this one, you know, I really tried to trust in the Lord and say, Lord, it's in your hands. Keep me at Southern Seminary as long as you want me there. But the moment you want to pull me out of there, pull me out. And I tell you what, this past time dealing with critical race theory and, and that letter I sent, I really felt that I, I didn't do it perfectly. But I tell you what, this time I felt I trusted in the Lord instead of my own wisdom in battling this. And it makes all the difference in the world. Trust in the Lord. You know, Edwin, there was a couple of verses that were particularly helpful to me. And uh, let me give, give them to you. Please, thank you. Yeah, one's in Isaiah 31, uh, 3. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. Mm. And their horse is flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helps shall fall and he that is helped shall fall down together and they all shall fail together. You know why I like this verse? It's not that the people who are teaching critical race theory are Egyptians. No, that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But you know, I tell you what, Edmund, when you fight these battles, the temptation is to see who's on your side and who's on the other side battling. And if you do that, you're going to get in trouble. We can't trust in man. Even if we have the most powerful, one of the most powerful nations on our side, the Egyptians were at this time that Isaiah is talking about. Yeah. Israel, the, Judites, the, Judah, the Judeans here, they were trusting in Egypt to defeat the Assyrians, you see. And so their trust was not in the Lord. It was in the Egyptians. It was in the horses of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had the best war horses. They'll win the battle. Don't worry. They were trusting in horses. And I have the tendency, and I think we all have the tendency, to who's on my side? Oh, that guy's on my side. Oh, good. I need some more strong, powerful people, and I'll trust in them that they're going to win the day for me or something like that. No, no, no. You've got to trust in the Lord. Yes. And not man, not the flesh, and so forth. The other verse that helped me, very similar, Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. You know, the, the man we trust in the most, unfortunately, Edwin, is our own selves. <laughs> so when it says, cursed is the man that trusts in man, yes, oftentimes I trust in someone else. That guy is going to help me. He's, he'll, help me at, he'll help me in this battle. No. And then the one man that I especially trust is myself. I've got the wisdom. I've got the knowledge. You know, I'll wow people with my knowledge and I'll forget it. Yes. <laughs> the Lord, we've got to trust in the Lord. 
And if we lose our jobs, if we lose our friends, we lose our family, let's trust in the Lord. Let's do what's right. You know, there was another guy let go uh, and Jim Oreck. And I love what he said to me. He says, Russell, let's do the right thing and leave the consequences to the Lord. Do the right thing. Be faithful. Be faithful in, in your ministry. Be faithful as a professor. Be faithful in wherever God has called you. And then leave the consequences to the Lord. That's what we have to do. Don't trust in man, especially our own selves. Trust in the Lord. And it's these verses, Edwin, that really gave me probably the most comfort during this difficult time. Wow. Thank you, brother. That's, yeah, that's powerful. I, th- I thought of two verses. I think of uh, Paul. I mean, we, we see the example of Paul. We see the example of Christ. We see the example of the apostle Peter. These men, they, 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 they recognize that their life was hidden in Christ. Right. Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. You know, we see, we, we see in Romans eight, he says, um, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? Amen. You know, and just those, yeah. we see church history, Peter crucified upside down uh, because of his faith in the Lord. And he would not renounce Christ and turn away from him again, you know, proving himself uh, uh, tied to Christ. And so, and then lastly, this, this thing of, um, you know, we, we are bond servants. We are slaves of Christ, and we uh, we're not our own anymore. And right. I, I really I thank you for that. I really that that blessed me, brother. Thank you. Yeah. One other point, just real quick, and that is, you know, a lot of people have been contacting me. You know, how are you doing, and all this. And and I tell you what, the Lord has so helped me uh, mm-hmm. through this, and so I think supported me that. I, you know, I, I can't praise him enough. I'm not bitter. I'm not uh, like in depression over this. Not at all. Mm. Now, look, I'll tell you what bothers me the most. You know, some of the, there's a few professors there that I have trained. You know, and to see them, you know, you know, basically coming out against me. I mean, it bothers me. No question. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being. But those that I help train and so forth, yeah, that, that bothers me. But I tell you what. The Lord has been so good to me on this. And, you know, every once in a while I do recognize I don't have a job. <laughs> you know, I do recognize that from time yeah. to time. But to be honest with you, the Lord has uh, blessed me in so many ways uh, after being let go that I- I'm just excited about what the Lord has for me in the future. Because let me tell you, all my life it seems like God has always done beyond what I was able to ask or think. Mm. And I believe he's going to do that again for me. That's what he's done all my life. And I don't deserve it. I'll tell you what, I don't deserve that. But the Lord has always done that. But I tell you what, if I end up sweeping floors somewhere, I've done that before. Yeah. And, I'm again. Yeah. And, and if that's his will, mm. give me the broom. I'm ready to start. You Amen, know? Brother. Amen. So whatever the Lord wants me to do, whatever brings glory to his name, that's Amen. exactly what I want. And if I'm in his will, Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Amen. As as we and thank you for that. That was that was that was great. Uh, as we prepare to close, uh, can you please just talk to us about the school that you are in the process of uh, working out, and and just let our audience know about that and how they can get involved and 
how they can pray for you and those kinds of things. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, what I'm, what I'm going to do in the fall, starting on uh, August 31st, I'm going to start offering classes on Zoom. And it's going to start off just being some Old Testament classes. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have some Zoom classes. One's going to be on Jeremiah. Another one's going to be kind of like an Old Testament introduction class. And then I'm going to offer three Hebrew classes. Uh, one is like beginning Hebrew. One is like an advanced uh, Hebrew grammar class called composition, but that's advanced Hebrew grammar. And then I'll do Jeremiah in Hebrew. So if you already know Hebrew, we'll do Jeremiah, but this time we'll look at it from the Hebrew text. And I'm really excited about this, very excited. And so far, I've been very pleased with the uh, people contacting me. And if you want to, if you're interested in this, please get on Facebook and uh, contact me on Facebook. Uh, just do a messenger uh, text. If you don't do that, I tell you what, if you could uh, maybe contact uh, Edwin and Edwin, maybe you could contact me if somebody, you know, if they don't have Facebook, but uh, love for you to contact me if that's something that interests you. Also, it's going to be like seminary classes, but it, you won't have to pay seminary prices. For one class, it's $250. You can take all the classes for $500 if you want to. And so what I'm trying to do is give good, solid, orthodox, biblical training and do it at a rate that everybody can afford and also where you can do it at home. And we're going to do it on Zoom. We're going to record it. So let's suppose Monday night, you have to work Monday nights. Well, you can watch it on the, uh, as a tape. You know, we're going to tape it and uh, record it so that you can watch it. So uh, I'm really excited about this. I hope the Lord will bless this. And uh, what I'm hoping, if, this, if the Lord continues to bless this, that we'll start offering New Testament courses, theology courses. And I've already got some folks who want to come alongside of me and help teach with me on this. And uh, so let's see if this works. Let's just see. Now, again, this is not an accredited course. Let me just make sure uh, your listeners understand this. You won't get official credit, uh, academic credit for this. But let me tell you, if you take Hebrew, you learn Hebrew, you can probably go to most places and pass, take a test and pass out of that, you know. So um, it, it still can help you if you go to a, an accredited institution. But listen, if you're going to preach the gospel, teach Sunday school, you don't need an accredited degree. And, uh, and let me tell you this, the classes are, I'm calling them audit classes. Because there's not going to be a paper you have to do. There's not going to be a test you have to take or a quiz you have to take. No, I'm just going to teach the material and you do with it, with it what you want to do. And the harder you work on it, obviously, the better you'll be at it. But, uh, you know, just come and have a good time. Uh, there's going to be no, I'm not going to call on you. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be anything like that. And so I think, I think everybody can enjoy this from age 10 to 94. And uh, but I'll allow a 95 year old to come too, <laughs> for uh, everybody. And we're going to have a good time. And uh, again, it, it'll start in uh, on August 31st, and we'll go through, I think, the week before Thanksgiving. And uh, and so I'm really excited about this opportunity. A lot of people have reached out to me, and I hope some of your listeners will as well. And hey, try it. I think you'll enjoy it. And. Uh, I think this would be a good way for continuing education. Uh, it's a good way to do review. And it's a good way just if, if you didn't have a chance to do seminary education, come on. And if uh, we get enough folks, like I say, we're going to expand this in the future. 
And, uh, but just, I hope everybody will pray for me. Just pray the Lord will take care of me. And also pray, of course, that uh, this will, will prosper and that the Lord will be pleased and glorified by this work. Yes, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Amen. Dr. Fuller, you are um, a father in the faith. And I love you and I thank you for your testimony. You're just an encouragement. And I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I think about the kids, my children that I have. And I think about, um, you know, the, the Lord and his providence could take any of us home anytime. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter how old your children are or how young they are. Um, and yet one of the things I want to instill into my children is that uh, I don't I don't ever want my children to be bitter at God with what he chooses to do with dad, you know. Um, and so I, I, I want them to reflect back on my life and see God is good, you know. And you, and you know, Evan, let me say this. I've got three children. I've got a son and two daughters. And I really believe, and, 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 and I didn't think of this would ever, <laughs> something like this would happen, but I really think this controversy has brought them closer to the Lord, not not bitter, uh, just the opposite. It's even made them, I think, closer to the Lord and definitely closer to me. But I tell you, it's been it's been a fantastic blessing in the family. Praise and, God. Uh, again, the Lord is so good. The Lord is Amen. Good. Amen. Well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for those who listened this is The Proverbial Life. This is a podcast where we encourage Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. Dr. Fuller, thank you for your time. Thank you, Edwin. I really had a good time with you today. Yes, sir. God, God bless. Okay.